Hey guys, it's Harrison here. If you're heading to Black Hat or DEF CON, listen up. Uh, we have a party happening on Wednesday night of Black Hat at the Mandalay Bay. You won't want to miss it. Uh, it's right in the middle of the hotel at iCandy Sound Lounge on August 7th from 7 to 10 p.m. Uh, make sure to get on the list before beforehand so you can avoid the lines, um, and then we'll drop a link in the show notes for that. Let's go ahead and get kicked off. Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. All right, joining me now is Brian Helligus from McDonald's, as well as Rick Holland, our Chief Information Security Officer here at Digital Shadows. How are you both doing today? Not bad. Thank you for asking. Good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just going to kind of talk a little bit through some different questions and get some of y'all's uh, sort of higher level perspective on things. Um, so yeah, let's just go ahead and kick it off. Uh, first question. So what are kind of the most important things to keep an eye on uh, externally for any business? If you're looking outside of the business's perimeter, what, what are kind of the most important things that you can think of that um, are important? I would start with what the, the brand itself or your leadership deems important and then go from there. So you can base your uh, like your priority intelligence requirements based off your leadership's feedback. And, and then you could scope your uh, intel development around that. Um, that way you're not off in you know, left field developing uh, threat models for something that may not be pertinent to your organization, something that you may have... Um, an interest in may not affect the business. So um, that, that's where I would align my priorities first for Intel and development and stuff like that is based off the leadership requirements. It actually is related to something Brian and I talked about, I don't know, a month ago or so around trying to develop Intel requirements and what you want to be looking for. And we talked about um, the SEC Form 10K which is for American public tr uh, companies they have to file them quarterly, a 10Q, and then annually in a 10K. And one of the things Brian and I were talking about is you know, how few people actually uh, leverage them. Um, from my days back at Forrester, I would always ask audiences, even today uh, when presenting, how many people read their Form 10K, and very few people do. But the risk factor section of the 10K is very, very enlightening. It's going to be high-level risk for the business, but at least can direct... And you don't have to be threat intel. It could be digital risk protection. You could be, you know, incident response, whatever. It's going to help you understand what your business priorities are. And then you can start thinking about all of the assets and infrastructure that are related to that. So let's, I'll just make up you're a, a, a retail company and you have your own, you know, credit card uh, for your customers, you know, identifying all the internal and external infrastructure associated with that. Um, would be something that that you could align on, that you could report on, and then would make sense as you go up the chain. So, and the, I mean, the Form 10K is like a good way to kind of close that feedback loop, right? Because that's on that'll be on the tail end of, you know, what if it if it's basically driving the setting of Intel requirements at the at a high level. That's kind of the end result is that you want that Form 10K to in an ideal world, say, yeah, we have no threats uh, against the company. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, obviously that's not going to happen. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of the end product of what you're kind of setting out for. Would that be right? Would that be accurate? Well, if you think of a cycle, it could be the beginning. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think at a high level, the, the Form 10K makes sure that other business units are also aligned. 
So you're looking at your legal aspect, your risk management, any of those perspective organizations are going to have to coordinate in order to fill the content for that team. So everybody's reading from the same page. Yeah, which I think the larger you get in a company, like for us at Digital Shadows, smaller organization, um, it's probably a little bit easier to get everyone on the same uh, sheet of music when then you're a multinational global <laughs> information or global company. It's probably a little bit more challenging. Sure, sure. And I think that's, you know, one of the maturity things is as you grow as an organization, you want to take best practices and make sure that everybody's speaking the same language as well, global or not. For sure. Well, that kind of leads me into the next question. So um, how, how important do you think it is to operate cross-functionally um, across different teams? You know, whether that be, you know, I guess in Threat Intel, we can be kind of technology focused, especially for cyber. Um but how important is it to kind of operate across legal, marketing, or even PR responses, stuff like that? Um, do you think that's a pretty important area to, to expand on? Oh, most definitely. Um, from a brand management perspective, you have to align your social media aspects, your legal, your risk, your, your um, marketing. Exactly, because you don't want the wrong message coming out of some organization that doesn't align with your priorities. So yeah, everybody needs to work and then you can also do to like work together and then the remediation comes from that as well. So you're, you're quicker to respond, quicker to resolve based off of anything that you could be doing together. That way, you know, everybody's <clears throat> aligned, your priorities are were concurrent um, and that way everybody knows all the players in the game too. Whenever, uh, whenever I hear people talk about cross-functional um, operations, I think back of a quote that Wendy Nather made, Wendy, um, former 451 analyst and then Duo Security and now Cisco, we were on a panel, I don't know, maybe four years ago and this kind of topic came up and she, she called uh, organizational silos, she called them cylinders of excellence <laughs> um, and how bad these cylinders are, um, which always kind of makes me laugh because you do, even in small organizations, you can have siloed um, um, teams and that's not good. One of the things we recently did, um, my last trip to London, which was a few weeks ago, we did our first executive C-suite level tabletop exercise and it was very cross-functional. We, we ran through an extortion uh, scenario and um, Alistair, our CEO, was on it. We had um, PR, we had marketing, uh, we had uh, engineering, uh, product team representation, IT, security, and it was really good. And that's the time that you want to be working cross-functional is when you're not in a crisis mode. <laughs> because if you're just meeting someone or interacting for them, with them for the first time in the middle of a crisis, it's going to make that crisis all the more challenging and stressful. Sure. And then you have to take your lessons learned from that, too, to make sure that any of that material is iterative. So, okay, here's where we failed, here's where we succeeded, and here's how we can do it all again better. Better, faster, stronger, et cetera. You're making me laugh because it's such a valid point, and I'm reminded that I have an email in my inbox from our security architect, Isidorus, who's asking me to approve the uh, the notes and the action items from our tabletop exercise. Uh, Issy, if you're listening, I will bump that up on my priority list. What are a couple pieces of, um, I guess, advice that you would give to other teams who, who may not be as cross-functional? as you're describing like we are. So like that was, that was a pretty good exercise that we did, uh, the tabletop. What, what's a piece of advi advice that you can give to maybe, you know, less mature teams to kind of get, get, get on the right path? Yeah, okay. I, I, I think 
it, like if you as long as you communicate and then manage expectations that way your cylinder of excellence can stay aligned to what your actual business roles and goals are <clears throat> you're not reaching beyond any um capabilities or doing the whole it's not my job answer um there is a component of capability but it also should not be tied to responsibility just because i can doesn't mean i should or or will um i think as long as as you're reaching out and communicating what you are capable of and what aligns with your business goals objectives you know, organization and i think you can start to put people in those hard places and say okay this is this is what you need to do because i know that it aligns with uh my expectations of your organization or your business everyone's going to get uncomfortable i'm always very interested in what other groups um responsibilities are and you know what they're trying to accomplish and then trying to see how we can tie our security program and what we're trying to accomplish to that uh, so for example if you if you know one of your peer organizations is going through an audit uh, a financial audit or something like that maybe you can you know look for ways to to make their lives easier if you're, you're working with you know systems that are involved in the accounting payment uh, payroll type of world but I just think understanding you know what people's motivations are which are often tied to what their own department's business goals are and then hopefully you know we're not these cylinders of excellence you know we're all look, looking towards the bigger goal for the company but just really understand it's almost like that whole walk a mile in somebody else's shoe what are they responsible for you know what are the what are the constraints that they have and then how can you kind of align your needs and in your messaging to to be a little bit more palatable to them yeah, I think the palatability is is a key component because everybody's going to, you know, feel somewhat responsible for things that are under their purview and then feel very sensitive as um, other people try to mess with that. So whether it's an, an additional requirement build or a due out for that organization or that unit, um, I, I think this harkens back to the thing I said a few minutes ago is, is you're going to get uncomfortable in what you do. And this is a, a militarism that I learned a while ago. It's the hard right over the easy wrong and, you know, not answering or delaying or uh, pushing off something is not necessarily the right requirement. But if you can start to develop situations or experience, because there are going to be one off items that, that come from incidents or events in your organization that nobody is familiar with, it's just going to happen. I mean, we're not at the end of the, the, the cyber development. Regardless of how mature your organization is, there's something on the horizon that you do not know. Okay, great. So next question, what do you see as the biggest threat within the cybersecurity landscape right now? I realize that is a very broad question, but intentionally broad. I just want to kind of gauge what y'all's ideas on that are. Uh, insider threats and misconfigurations. I know that's two things, but I mean, the insider threat's never going to go away. That's your, you know, the, the, the weak link in the chain is someone's going to either act negligently, ignorantly, or maliciously. So um, you have those components to deal with and you try to shore up your security controls around them. But, you know, even the smartest people are still going to fall for the well-crafted phishing email or misconfigure an S3 bucket or... <clears throat> you know, run the gamut of, whoopsie, I shouldn't have done that kind of scenarios. Um, so yeah, I think ultimately it's the, the the insider threat is, to me, is the one that's been on the horizon and will continue to be. I was thinking about insiders 
as well. You know, the accidental insider, the malicious insider, the outsider that becomes an insider because almost every time you have an intrusion, they're going to be looking to, to get privileges and then to escalate privileges. So I think you could boil a lot of things down to just insiders in general, no matter if the insider came from the outside or not. I guess you could debate me on if that's really an insider <laughs> or not. But Unintended insider. Um, yeah. Um, but I think if you're, I think that's why looking at account management, privilege account management, if you think about security controls and places to do monitoring, uh, running things like you know multi-factor authentication on your external facing services to kind of uh, prevent the account takeover use case, which is very easy to say. It's I think it's much more difficult if you're a global company and you need to roll out multi-factor authentication to just one application. Um, and then if it's consumer facing, that even complicates things more. Sometimes we have a hard enough time getting employees to do things, much less consumers. Um, so I think insider threat is is pretty key. I don't get too wrapped up in the nation state stuff. Um, it's probably a little bit more unlikely of scenario for a lot of companies that are out there. I think if you do the right things and try to have a good baseline of security, it's going to build resiliency because if you're getting all wrapped up on secret squirrels and APT groups. I mean, if someone at that skill set with resources is targeting you, they're going to get you no matter what. Um, I think you really just want to have visibility. So I almost think for me, like, what's your biggest threat? I almost feel like it's lack of visibility because the more visibility I have on the inside of my network, at my perimeter, and then beyond my footprint, the more I can understand whatever the the threat du jour is because I, I have confidence that I can see what's going on, situational awareness into my environment. Good asset management, you know, security awareness on your staff, and then you know, log aggregation and parsing of the data that you do get, taking that that raw info and turning it into actionable info. It's real easy, easy to say. It's hard to do, though, right? No, yeah, it's yeah. Best practice does not equal implementation. <laughs> yeah, that's always that's always a discussion with two uh, FA specifically. It's very easy to say, and then it's extremely hard to roll out across any organization, let alone a small, medium big, you know, massive. <laughs> um, okay, well then, let's wrap it up. August is coming up soon, which means Black Hat is soon, and DEF CON. Is there anything specifically, maybe like a talk or something like that, that you're looking forward to this year? Uh, I am. This will be my first go-round for Black Hat, so it's, you know, uh, wide-eyed experience for me, so hopefully I can absorb as much as I possibly can. As far as DEF CON goes, I think it's it's being in an environment that uh, is now more and more widely accepted, that whole like kind of nerd underground group where you're, you know, you're reverse engineering things and wearing aluminum hats. It's, 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 just, a, it's just an exciting environment and all the energy there, and the, everyone seems so positive and willing to help. Uh, last year, a 12-year-old helped me hack my badge, so that was uh, super appreciative. But uh, I think just, just the experience alone and then going into the different villages or sitting through the talks, whether they align with something you're mildly interested in or something that you're, aligns with your, your job, I think all of them come with a certain amount of value. I think for me... I'm going to DEF CON for the first time since the Alexis Park day, so it's been a long time. So I'll be out there for Black Hat and DEF CON. So I'm curious to see how DEF CON has evolved in the many, many years since I've uh, been to it. Um, when it comes to Black Hat, there is one talk I'm particularly interested in. With But previous 
guests that we've had on the podcast with um, Ryan Kovar and Katie Nichols. That was going to be mine. Oh, I sold yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Ryan was on not too long ago, which in the past month, and Katie was on last year. Um, and it's Miter Attack, the Play at Home edition, and it's kind of a tag team uh, component uh, with Ryan kind of taking it down to a more practical level. Because I think some of the Miter Attack stuff is is pretty high level. Um, Ryan's going to dig dig into it with specific examples, and they're both they're both amazing presenters. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that one. I think the other bit about Black Hat and DefCon is just like it'll be great to catch up with you, Brian. There, it's like seeing your friends, um, seeing you know business partners. Um, it's a whole locker a hallway locker con. What is locker con? Locker con. That's like the worst conference in the world. I don't ever <laughs> want to go terrible. to locker con. But at hallway con, on the other hand, um, that that bit is fun. You get to see people connect with them. Be out of the work environment for a little while. Um, it'll be a good time. Yeah, I think I think last year or not last year, but at RSA earlier this year, um, talking with kind of like potential partners and stuff like that. You know, different people from different companies that are doing interesting research. That was my favorite part. So hopefully we can do some more of that this year, um, and then just kind of keep the conversation rolling. Yeah, Onapsis was a good example of that. Yeah. We met with them at Black Hat and. RSA, well, RSA and then Black Hat and then RSA again mm-hmm. um, for some of our research collaboration. So we do get to go meet with the other kind of a group's equivalent of Photon and see what kind of interesting stories we might put together um, mm-hmm. for, for our customers and the broader community. Um, from a panel experience and like having those conversations is, is, a, is a great component. I know you, you sit up there and you want to talk about the best practices and, and how to, you know, like I said before, best implement these new security controls. But I think generating those conversations, having that that um, hallway con experience is kind of um, more rewarding because I, the, it's not just this meet and greet, handshaking, kiss babies thing. It's, it's you're developing these relationships and uh, potential resources because Rick knows a heck of a lot more than I do. So I'm, I just say, hey, Rick, um, how do I fix X, Y, Z? And he always has an answer or, a, a, you know, a direction to go. So, no, it's, it's very appreciative. And one of the guys that I work with uses um, DEF CON to kind of recharge his batteries through the year. Because if you're in security, it's generally not a nine-to-five job. So you get overworked. And that's just the Vegas is a place to kind of realign and kind of start over again and say, okay, this is this is the cool stuff. Let's be on the forefront. Let's be in the tip of the spear and go back to work with, you know, you're revitalized. Hey, look at all these ideas and connections I made. Let's implement them in our environment as best as possible. All right, great. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. And Rick, thank you as well for joining us uh, for cool discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. Brian, thank see you. you in Vegas. Yeah, thank you guys. Take care. Thanks.